All right, everybody. Welcome to BO Boys for Thursday, February 8th. Fuck it. It's a raw feed. We're doing it live. I'm Clayton. Yeah, I'm Pat. Clayton, it is the big game weekend, and we had to bring in the greatest analysis uh, there is. We had to bring in the big hitter. We had to bring in the man who sits at the head of the table when it comes to box office, our tribal chief. Scott Mendelson has joined us. Scott, thanks for joining us on the BO Boys. It's always a pleasure. Happy to be here. I'm going to close uh, this box and hope that nothing weird happens. All right. Oh well, you know what? And if something weird happens, it can be great radio. So mm-hmm. whatever happens, it'll be great. So, uh, Scott, enough. obviously, we're going to get into this weekend. We want to hear from you about how box office has been unfolding these first few months of or first month of 2024. Look ahead a little bit. But before we get to that, you have started a Substack, which on this show, Clayton and I, we've been singing its praises, must read, must subscribe, must pay for. You, you got to do it. Must pay for. Must pay that's, for. That's the key thing. Yes. Yes. That is I don't most- give a shit if you read it. Just pay for it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you would take pay and don't read over, uh, read it on the dark web and don't pay. When you have children, you'll understand. Yes. Um, well, Scott, tell the wannabe old boys, wannabe old girls, wannabe old people. People. Why they must pay for the outside scoop by Scott Mendelson. Because it's my it's my uh it's my job now. And if you I mean not to be bloviating or whatever, but if you liked what I did at Forbes and you I'm gonna say if you like what I did with the rap, because that was a little different anyway. But yeah, it's basically what I used to do. Eventually, I'm going to start getting back in the habit of doing, you know, more stories. So it's not just one epic poem about one story a day. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out how to balance between covering all the things that I want to cover and not spamming my subscribers with five emails a day. Right. But work in progress. Um, yeah, five bucks a month, 50 bucks for the year. Um, so far, it is going pretty well. Um, I had my first sponsored post yesterday from wow. the lovely people who put out uh, Godzilla minus one's Oscar campaign. So yay! Yes. Oh, nice. So it's movie related. It wasn't like a vibrator company. No, I'll take that too. Again, yeah. I got kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was still Alpha Brain. It doesn't matter. Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, it's it's it's. I'm trying to publish at least once a day, and uh, sometimes one or two more. Sometimes. I end up, you know, getting caught up in life just because you got one. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, here's what I'll say. It's basically because so many of our listeners fell in love with box office from reading you on Forbes. That is such a, a gateway drug to a generation of box office enthusiasts. And this is that return to form. So I think I, I, if, I if you love it, that. I'm making the Oppenheimer face. He, wow. There he is. That's the great. man who started it all. He, he. <laughs> He created the bomb that that led to the nightmare that is the B.O. Boys. So, uh, yes, the outside scoop, everyone must read, must pay for. And uh, it's a again, it's a return to form for the tribal chief, Scott Mendelson. Hey, can I speak on this really quickly? Because I say this on the podcast every every week that, you know, in America, capitalist society, nobody's owed a living. Right. I disagree in one case. I disagree here. Because like Pat said, our listeners, if they cannot pay for Scott Mendelson's brilliance, right, then what are they paying for? Okay. Mm-hmm. 
You owe this man a living. If you're listening to this podcast, you owe him a living. Yeah. So you need to subscribe and pay. Okay. Yes. If yeah. you are a wanna be a boy, wanna be a girl, wanna be a person. Person. You need to pay for this substack. Yes. Period. Period. So the other question is, Scott, are people gonna pay this weekend to see Lisa Frankenstein? That is Thanks. that. That is the 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 number that everyone wants to know when we get to Sunday night. The entire country is going to want to know the final score of Lisa Frankenstein's opening box office weekend. So how are you feeling as we head into big game Lisa Frankenstein weekend? I'm sure the EVOD business will be great. Wow. Um, wow. Look, it's a fun I movie. I, 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 I enjoyed it. It's getting mixed reviews, which aren't going to help. It's tracking at like over under six, seven million. And I would be pleasantly surprised if it gets higher than that. Mm -hmm. It is the kind of film that we all say that we want and then we don't show up for in theaters. It is the kind of film that's going to be a future classic to a generation of young women, teens, girls, college age kids, whatever. Whatever. Um, Whatever. And what I like about it is that it's very much indebted, <coughs> not just to uh, Frankenstein, but to Tim Burton's Edward Scissorhands, which mm. itself is very much a Frankenstein-type story. But it is it doesn't wear its homages on its sleeve to the point where it needs references and recognition of the Burton film to exist. It's, it's, it's its own thing. It's a rip-off, don't remake. And it's going to inspire a fan base of people that have never even heard of Edward Scissorhands. And that is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a fun film. It's, 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 you know, you could take this as a compliment, I guess. I'm shocked that I got a PG-13. Um, okay. I like hearing that, that it should have gotten an R. That's intriguing. Well, I mean, whatever. I mean, I take my, you know, if my kids were interested, I take them. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I'm saying, you know, if, 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 your kids can handle, yeah, whatever. Yeah, uh, I was, I was refreshingly surprised that the MBA or the MBA was a little bit lenient this time out. Good for them. Now, 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 Scott, this usually would be a great counter programming to the big game, right? Because it is a movie that will be driven by female moviegoers. Unfortunately, this is the Taylor Swift Bowl. That is what this is, and that is where the young ladies are going to be training all their attention. Now, when you were putting this movie, when you thought as a studio, you're putting this movie out, this is the worst case scenario for this movie, right? To have this happen. This is the second time that Universal or Comcast, because this is a focus features film, has been decapped by Taylor Swift um, because they were going to open The Exorcist, The Believer on uh, wow. Friday the 13th in October. And then in early September, Taylor Swift came out of nowhere and say, hey, um, we made a movie based on my concert tour. AMC is self-distributing. We're dropping it on Friday the 13th or Thursday the 12th, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so understandably, Universal said shit and moved The Exorcist to uh, October 6th. And I, you know, and maybe this is just a matter of Universal slash Focus Features being among the more committed old school theatrical distribution house that 
they're the ones that tend to get burned when stuff like this happens. Mm-hmm. The Fablemans was the movie that got screwed over the most when Netflix says, yes, we'll put out Knives Out 2 in theaters, but only over Thanksgiving weekend. Mm. Right, right. Yeah, it. it th- this is a situation where it's what we want in that at least there's product coming out. Um, but it just doesn't seem to have anything going for it that's breaking through. You know, Catherine Newton star of this. She was great in Blockers. She was good in the Freaky Freaky Friday Freaky movie. Freaky, freaky. freaky. just Freaky, just, just freaky, freaky, of course. Good, but she's kind of a total unknown to the general public. Uh, I don't think there's any other element of this that really breaks through. I'll, I'll throw this out out there. I don't think they really capitalized on in the marketing, but this kind of is the year of the female Frankenstein, you know, because you've got Barbie, which is kind of in some ways a female Frankenstein, but then poor things, which is big time a female Frankenstein. And I don't think this movie is riding that wave at all, but do, do, do you feel any part of that or see anything in the marketing they could capitalize to sort of just ride the wave of this is the year of female Frankenstein? I, again, I'm always loathe to blame the marketing because it's mm-hmm. nine times out of 10, it's a shoot the messenger type situation. That being said, there hasn't been a ton of, I would argue there hasn't been a ton of conventional publicity, at least to the point that, how do I say this without being a jerk? I do believe there is a scenario where a film starring Catherine Newton, directed by Robin Williams' daughter, and written by the woman that penned Jennifer's body, mm-hmm. could have made a little bit of noise this weekend. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking big opening weekend, but I'm talking enough to, so we're not, you know, you know, explaining why a $6 million opening isn't that bad, really. Right, right. Well, I mean, we'll we'll get to our full-on predictions for the weekend, but... Do you feel like six million is starting to feel high based on the buzz this is going into? Like, I mean, Clayton, throw it out there. Do you do you think this will cry macho? Because you you brought it up over a text to me today. Well, 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 that was Christopher, one of Bo Senior intern. Christopher invoked the cry macho. So let's give credit where credit is due. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, I do think. And cry macho is in four. Like it's four. So it's not. Yeah. It's not. Uh, a crazy low number. I mean, you threw out Playmobil, which is just pure lunatic speak. Right, right. But about this? Freaky, which came out in uh, October of 2020, mm-hmm. obvious handicaps going on, that did 3.5, which was what basically everything was opening to at that time, give yeah. or take. Right, right. I, I mean, uh, Jennifer's Body in 2009 only opened to 6.8. So, I mean, yes. I think this movie could open lower than that uh, because also at that time you had hot stars. You had a very hot writer. Uh, and so I do think that this, you know, we didn't mention Cole Sprouse. Cole Sprouse is the Riverdale gentleman. Uh, he is in this film as well. So there is some, I guess, beefcake, if you will. The ladies might like Cole Sprouse. But again, I'm not seeing, like you were saying, any sort of conventional or unconventional promotion for this. I'm not seeing them sitting down and eating hot wings, obviously. I'm not seeing them tasting European snacks on Lad Bible. These things I'm not seeing. So Mm -hmm. those are the things where you could see the personalities of these people. 
I'm seeing more stuff about Mr. and Mrs. Smith and Amazon show than I'm seeing about this. So I do think, yeah, the promotion here, I like the trailers. I think it looked cute. It makes me want to see me and Pat are seeing this movie this weekend. Yep. But again, it's just not penetrating. It's not penetrating in any way. And that's where, you know, you're going to have a problem. Yeah. I, it, mean, I mean, if they could sell this movie more honestly, you know, it's a shame they can't just say, Catherine Newton wears like eight different goth outfits. Perfect. I mean, yeah. And depending on how you interpret that statement, either yeah. way it is an appealing movie. Right. Yeah. Right. It, it's a very, I mean, listen, that's a very 1990s way to sell a movie that young rising starlet will be in various goth outfits. You know, obviously Winona Ryder made her bones on that kind of uh, movie pitch back in, in the mid nineties. So yeah, it, it's it's going to be a tough weekend. It's really nothing is breaking through the the Taylor Swift big game. That's all anyone and wants to cover right now. To be fair, while I was more optimistic, even at the beginning of the year, just because I expected a bit more aggressive marketing, but whatever, these things mm -hmm. happen. Most of the films that we talk about as being these generational classics, especially, frankly, the ones aimed at women, you know, Heather's, Jennifer's mm -hmm. Body, they were they weren't all huge hits, mm -hmm. right? So, right. and again, the, I think it will do very well on PVOD in terms of its budget and what it would need to do to make money. Right. It's just not good news for theaters. Right. That, yes. That's a bigger thing. Yeah, because 13 million, this movie will make 13 million plus over the course of its life several times over. Um, it's just, yeah, not that many people are going to be buying Lisa Frankenstein commemorative popcorn buckets this week. Well, here's something else coming out this weekend or not coming out, but, but four minutes extra of something that's been out. Anyone but you Valentine's edition, they're adding four minutes. Clayton and I have been talking about this the last four weeks, a couple of weeks. Don't know what's in that four minutes. We're theorizing. Maybe it's hardcore sex. Who knows? We don't know. It might be some actual plot and character development. Wow. Burn. That was a burn. That, that was, was a burn. I'm burn. thrilled the movie's doing well. Mm -hmm. But that movie is the wish of rom-coms. And by that, I mean, it has all the stereotypical ingredients that you associate with a super generic rom-com and doesn't cook any of them. Wormont mm -hmm. well, Maroney is bad. He's never bad. He's good in those VOD action movies he occasionally stars in. But maybe this four minutes is four minutes of Dermot Maroney just really, as the kids say, cooking up there. You know, mm -hmm. cooking Perhaps. and eating up there. So the, who knows? That's that's. Do you think this four minutes holds enough intrigue that anyone but you gets another bump this weekend, or is it going to be in the Taylor? I think it's a very. Bump? I think it's going to be Taylor, but they're also aiming for the actual Valentine's Day week, which is you know mm. it's not Wednesday or something. Yep. Um. This so feels yeah, like, I mean, I, this is like a big Tuesday play. You know, I think Tuesday then could be where anyone but you, you know, skyrockets up a couple of spots in the in the top ten. Yeah, and you know, it's what an extra fifty bucks. I don't know, right? But you know, it's it's. But I think it's 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 as happy as I am for this film's success on principle. <clears throat> this only happens because it's December. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of people saying, "Oh, they should have held it till Valentine's Day." Yeah, if it opened in Valentine's Day, it would have done. 2.5 times it's four day weekend and been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think that the sleepiness of the box office really helped this thing. And, and listen, 
I liked it en- enough. I also agree that it was no great shakes. It didn't really blow me away. And there were things that I was missing. I thought the characters were inconsistent in a lot of the, you know, from scene to scene. But there is something positive about a movie of this quality doing what it's doing just because it is what it is and it has who it has in it, right? So Sydney Sweeney making this sort of movie a hit is positive for the future because what if she's in a great movie? That is then going to be huge. Well, I'll let you know on Monday after about 1 p.m. Oh, so we're we're talking uh, MW. We won't say the full title, but okay. So Scott Mendelson, wow. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's going to be so interesting to, I mean, let's talk about Madam Webb a little bit and Sydney Sweeney. After this, anyone but you performance, does Sydney Sweeney feel like, listen, not a full on butts in the seats, you know, she's a sure thing movie star, but she seems like she's on that path coming off a movie like this. Do you think she means anything to Madam Webb? Is, is, I think she's a mild added value element if everything else was in place. And frankly, that entire cast is stacked. Mm-hmm. You know, the only reason the film isn't. Well, there's a lot of reasons the film isn't tracking better. Glass Cliff, they waited to diversify until the comic book superhero movie genre basically imploded. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's this weird, disconnected, technically it's a Spider-Man prequel, but not really. And really it looks more like the butterfly effect, and that's fine. I like the butterfly effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's got this ridiculous cast, and again, not having seen the movie, I'm sort of a very confused why there wasn't at least a second trailer that offered more conventional superhero tropes in it. Yeah. Um, That trailer was very difficult to understand and they never did release something that would clarify it, or at least choose a lane that we could all sort of follow like one character that we could follow as to what is this movie possibly about? Because you have a character that is dressed like Spider-Man in black, but he's not Venom, and he's doing Spider-Man stuff, but you never explain that he is not Spider-Man. And I think, is that to fool people into thinking Spider-Man's in this movie? I don't know. It's just needlessly confusing. Yeah, there there are three different times in a, the trailer. You know, a trailer is less than two minutes where a character says, I don't understand that. Some version of a character in the trailer voicing the complexity and, and and the uh the fact that they can't understand what the movie is about that that is not great marketing i know you don't want to blame the marketing but well generally no this is i mean it's one of the worst trailers i've ever seen for a mainstream release yeah in terms of construction and editing and simple narrative coherency yeah mm-hmm. yeah and We'll find out soon enough what it does or doesn't have up its sleeve. Um, I do think the fact, you know, I do think it's a huge sea change mm-hmm. that we're talking about Sydney Sweeney, who just scored in a $25 million R-rated romantic comedy. And we're talking about, oh, gee, we hope the big role she has in a Marvel superhero film doesn't hurt her career too much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a good chance. Let let's throw it on the line now. Do you think Madam Web domestically, when all said and done, makes more than anyone but you? I mean, anyone but you is what? It's seventy something now. Could have hit eighty. 
If no, it's surprisingly so. good, sure. Otherwise, no. Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, that is a sea change. Who would have thought that when those two movies were greenlit? Was there anyone who thought that Madam Webb would make less than anyone but you? Who would have thought that Wonka would make, you know, Five Nights at Freddy's would make more domestically than the Marvels? Yeah. Yeah. What, and, and, and I know you mentioned Wonka. We are going to do an episode where we divvy up the millions, our signature, one of our signature segments that we do here. But I just don't think we're giving enough credit and talking about Wonka enough, going over $200 million domestic. I mean, what would you point to here? Is it a combination of factors? Is it Chalamet plus a kid's it, movie plus this great director? Is Would you say that is the formula? Or how much would you give Chalamet? How much credit do you give his stardom, which is I only going to get bigger after Dune 2? big added value element. And I think it's funny because, I mean, I've been dissing the film's prospects since it was greenlit in late 2016. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. back in 2016, I think it would have flopped. Because mm-hmm. for one thing, nobody knew, you know, Shyamalan was a non-entity back then. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think there is credit due to him as a butts and seats draw as a marquee character that suits his persona mm-hmm. in a skewed way. I mean, and I say, I, this is not derogatory. He is a twig. He, and they cast him as a wilf. Mm-hmm. And that is as good a reason as any for people to show up. It's an original musical. And again, everyone likes to pretend that nobody likes musicals, which is bullshit. Um, if you make one that works to audiences, they will show up almost every time. Um, and the novel, you know, the, the source material was popular enough. And the film was cheap enough. It was only 125 to where A, it didn't have to break records to break even. But more importantly, because it was an insane, it was not an insanely expensive movie. It had room to breathe. It wasn't nonstop spectacle all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, and again, I have my issues with the film just as a movie. I, it didn't do much for me, mm-hmm. but I think it did a number of things correct, which is that it's not a setup for a sequel. It's a one and done. I mean, could there be a sequel? Sure. Right. But the, it didn't end on a giant cliffhanger with a bunch of Easter eggs. Right. Um, they don't make Wonka into a superhero or a chosen one. Mm-hmm. He's just a guy trying to make a living making chocolates. Right, right. And yes, it is a prequel origin story, blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't wait to the last five minutes to show Willy Wonka is the Willy Wonka. You know, in the first scene in the movie, he's Willy Wonka in the costume that you expect him to be in singing about chocolate. Yes. It, it, there's a version of this movie where he doesn't even make chocolate until the last five minutes of the movie absolutely yeah and the fact that they did not go that route shows that they're learning yes yes where it's like for uh, two hours they're teasing chocolate he almost buys a chocolate bar at some point yeah no there there is a version of that so they they made the right movie you know back to chalamet and back to Sidney sweeney and back to possible butts in the seat star power that's being developed now we had uh, the great uh, Kirk Minahan uh, of the Kirk Minahan show on. And we were talking about stars that could play lawyers and make money at the box office playing a lawyer. Because, I mean, the 90s, that was the test of stardom. Could you play a lawyer in a movie that maybe had one punch in the whole movie? And that movie made, you know, 80 to $120 million domestic. So Chalamet, 
Sydney Sweeney, Austin Butler. I'll throw in Tom Holland and I'll throw in Glenn Powell. Powell. Do you see stars in there in that group? Who do you get into a, 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 a lawyer suit and they could make a movie that gets you 75 million plus domestically. I'm going to throw, and you can throw in anybody you think. And I'm going to say Zendaya. Zendaya. Well, Zendaya. Okay. Wait. So Scott, could you repeat that there? I think all of them, but they have to be more or less in the same movie. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So you're like, it has to be a, a stacked cast. Yes. Well, I mean, is there a version of, you know, two of them again, whether it's you team up Sydney Sweeney with Chalamet and they're in a, you know, John Grisham or John modern John Grisham, uh, uh, adaptation. Well, what about like a legal Eagles remake or something where you would right. have, that, that yeah. is a, that's sort of like a go-to example of the, you know, the kind of movies we used to make, but here's the funny thing. A, it's not very good. I recently rewatched it mm-hmm. and it wasn't that big of a hit even 40 years ago. No, it wasn't. Huh. Yeah. But no, I, I absolutely get what you're talking about. And I do think that combination would be winning because Chabalet, you know, as this, I'm always, I mispronounced his name, I apologize. You know, he has a quirky persona. He's not like a gruff, conventional, very serious leading man. Mm-hmm. Um, so watching him try to seduce uh, Sydney Sweeney would be entertaining. Right, um, right. And yeah, I think the two of them, maybe one or two others in a supporting role as, you know, an evil lawyer or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, they're all, you know, wearing suits the old time, especially Sweeney. Um, mm-hmm. Glasses optional. Glasses mandatory. Um, the, okay. Yes, I, I do there think there is some commercial value if you don't spend a fortune making it and if you sell it to the TikTok crowd. And I don't say that derisively. Mm-hmm. I do think and I don't want to give credit to every hit movie to TikTok because I don't remotely think that's the case. Mm-hmm. But I do think the platform is becoming a supplement in terms of creating awareness among people that don't read newspapers, don't watch regular television, and don't see a bunch of non-tentpole movies in theaters. Because you take those away, where do you see trailers? Where do you see TV spots? Where do you see posters? Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. a problem that non-tentpole movies have had theatrically for the last six or seven or eight years. Right, right. Um, yeah, and Chalamet gets there. He gets himself on TikTok. Sydney Sweeney gets herself on TikTok. You know, I'm not so sure. Glenn Powell, how much Glenn Powell gets Daniel himself Ortega on TikTok. is the evil lawyer. Well, oh, there yeah. you go. So, I think here's what this movie is, right? So, yeah. I mean, this is going to be akin to she one of those. tries to seduce him. Inexplicably, she fails, but... Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, this has to be a sort of Brad Pack type movie, right? Yes. Where these are all young hotshot lawyers. You play up the fact that they are all super stylish. So there used to be, you know, back in the day when movies were it, you would have whole fashion trends like urban cowboy. People started dressing like cowboys in the city because of urban cowboy. You have to do this as lawyer chic. These characters are stylish lawyers. They all have their different styles. You can tell their character from their style and kids start dressing like lawyers. This movie would be huge if you get Zendaya, if you get Jenna Ortega, if you get Austin Butler, if you get Timothy Chalamet, if you get Sydney Sweeney. I mean, 
what's I mean, what's the budget on this movie because of that that cast? But still, I think I mean, there's a version where there's like three of them in the same movie. But but I yeah, think so pick that, him out yeah. of a hat. But I mean, that is yeah. I think something that becomes mm. beyond At just the movie. Three. Yeah, yep. you need a marquee director. Yes, mm-hmm. you need the promise of escapism, which basically it suits but a movie and more action. Yes. Um, I mean, there's the IP almost. Yeah. It suits the movie, but none of the cast of the TV show yeah. suits because yeah, they're yeah, TV yeah, yeah. actors. They're but TV you get Jenny Ortega, Sidney Sweeney, Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, why, do you, why do you think that show took off this summer? I mean, part of it's just because it happened to be on Netflix and right. people go, oh, what's on Netflix? Oh, that looks fun. Um, but it's it's an old school, you know, bubblegum sit, you know, I don't want to say it's a sitcom, but it's certainly not a drama. Mm-hmm. Right, it's a right. light legal dramedy that's sexy as hell. It's dumb, but in a fun way. Yeah. And there's nine seasons worth, so you don't, you know, you could binge it. Um, and you know, again, the, this this stuff isn't rocket science, right? And I do think, in terms of a broader, how do we save theatrical? I do think studios are going to have to spend a few years taking losses, rebuilding the star system, yes. reacclimating, reeducating audiences to show up for a movie that looks fun that stars people you like just because it's a movie that looks fun with people you like. Yes. And not because it's going to be part seven of a 40 part series. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the same way that, you know, in the early nineties, the Cleveland Indians spent a few years, you know, building up, you know, taking a bunch of promising people from the minor leagues and they built them up into solid ball players, mm-hmm. and they had a couple crappy seasons, but eventually they had a playoff team. Yes, yes. Chalamet I mean, is Manny Ramirez, and yes. and Austin Butler is Albert Bell. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, yeah. you have to trust the process. Yeah, There's I mean, do you, do you think that you know the superhero movies are on the wane? It's falling apart. That was a genre. And correct me if you think I'm wrong, but that's that was a genre that did not build stars. You know, Chris Hemsworth is not a movie star because Chrissy Hemi, Chrissy Hemi, Chrissy Hemi is not a movie star because he played Thor. You know that that is not a star making system. But you know, anyone but you made Sidney Sweeney in a way that I can't think of any actress that came out of the superhero movies a bigger star. ScarJo was already a star that played. Yes, she Black was Widow, already a name, right? Uh, but yeah, I, can't I mean, think- if anything, and this is where people whine about, you know, MCU killed the movie star, and it's not just Marvel, but it's like we had a you know a decade or so, fifteen years maybe, where you could get Chris Hemsworth as Thor or Chris Pine as Captain Kirk, which meant that you just had Chris Hemsworth as just some guy or Chadwick Boseman as just some cop. It became lesser in the eyes of moviegoers. Right. Right. They were just like, this is, I, I'm just, this is just them killing time before they play the one character I care about. Yes. And I think that's why the Superman actors have always had a lot of trouble playing anything after Superman, because how do you beat Superman? Superman is strong. He flies. He can see through things. He's the buffest guy and the most handsome guy on the planet. Right. How do you play anything less than that? Right. Such as and- playing Argyle. Yeah, well, I yeah. mean, that's you know, it's another classic. He's not actually a star. I mean, before Superman, he was making directed DVD Bruce Willis action movies. After Justice League, he was making directed DVD serial killer movies with Brent Kingsley. Mm-hmm. The Witcher saved his ass. 
Mm-hmm. And of course, and again, I don't want to assign motivation or armchair psychoanalyze or anything, but he apparently somehow convinced himself that he could walk away from the Witcher. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the rock might have uh, mesmerized him a little bit there. That's well, uh, how know. many franchises can the rock destroy the fast saga, DC films, WWE right here, right here. Yes. Th- this is something that w- w- let's just jump into it. Cause we were talking about this. I am now of the thought and I have been of this thought since the beginning. And Pat can attest to this. Yeah that I was always team Vin Diesel in this because <laughs> Vin Diesel does have his quirks and yes, he is a diva, but he truly cared about this franchise and helped build this franchise. And he loves La Familia and the rock came in and did his diva behavior and was cancerous to these people and this franchise. And I'm saying Vin Diesel needs to be vindicated here because he is the one throughout Hashtag all of vindicated. This. Yeah. Yes. Throughout this whole saga, and it is a saga, he has been the one trying to hold it together. And yeah, he had the spat with Rock. You have to bite back. You have to bark back. If you're a big dog, you bark back. But Vin Diesel was being uh, maligned unfairly for just caring about something that he helped build and that he truly loves. Yeah. um, Yeah, I mean, just talking about Dwayne The Rock Johnson here, you know, Black Adam was a debacle and it was a bomb. And I said that on this very show for weeks and weeks and weeks. Everyone knows that. And he, I think, took a a hit in his persona from that big power play that he tried to pull at DC. And there's a lot of fans of the pro wrestling genre that are feeling that same way about him now. He's he's doing a similar thing. I mean, Scott Mendelson, do you think that Dwayne The Rock Johnson is taking a hit to the point where he's is this post governor Arnold Schwarzenegger in terms of he's starting to get looked at as a joke when it comes to a movie actor and can he get that back because I mean he's right now he's yeah. in a bad publicity cycle if, if you follow yes. these things because I mean frankly and you know to be fair he was doing fine up until COVID, so you know, we all had adverse reactions. But I think, you know, not it's not really my place to give him advice. He's got more money than God. No, go for it. Scott Mendelson gives advice to Dwayne Rock movies where other people around him make him look good. Mm. Where it's not just him coming onto the scene and saying, I'm the biggest, baddest motherfucker in the universe, and that's the pitch. That's what I love about the Jumanji franchise. He plays an underdog in those films. He plays a comic riff on his persona, and everyone around him is also allowed to be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think for Clayton and I, those are just our, you know, we're not critics, huh? But those are our favorite huh? of his films. Um, I think his first Jumanji movie might be his quote-unquote best movie. And I, I think the trouble that he's in right now is... I don't think he's cool anymore. And I think he's sort of losing that. Well, we all love this guy. He should run for president. You know, I think that is, that is, and and you know what, when you get to the point when people say you should run for president, you should take stock of yourself in general. And I don't think he did that. I think he went the other way. Um, Because, you know, he tried to sell the idea that Baywatch was for the fans. 
Mm-hmm. I saw that in a fan screening. They laughed 10% more than I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a classic example of a film that like, I'm going to come in and be the biggest, baddest you know, motherfucker on the planet. And I'm going to be so funny and all, and nobody cared no one because cared. it was done in a way that made everyone else around him smaller. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's good. It's going to be an interesting thing to see. Obviously he's got streaming to sort of protect himself. You know, his next thing is Assuming the, the red one. want to work with him. Assuming studio, yeah, you know, is is that you know we're we're not the streamo boys, huh? But huh. is that sort of a genre that these streaming companies are going to get out of? You know, paying two hundred yes. million dollars. Yes. Okay. Talk on that, Scott. Do I you think, think those days Netflix, are over? I think Rebel Moon is the last one. Wow. It's for Netflix, and that's not yeah. gonna, oh, it's terrible. Or whatever. I mean, it wasn't very good, right. but. Right. Ironically, I mean, I think, you know, as loath as I am to defend Zack Snyder, because I know he hates me, when you compare Army of the Dead mm-hmm. and Rebel Moon, to me, that's an example of this is a streaming film, <clears throat> but it was not run through the, the stream, streaming meat grinder. But Rebel Moon feels like a streaming movie. Okay. Okay. Um, but it costs as much as a movie that would have opened in the middle of July cost. Yeah. Yeah. And, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, they're realizing that there's no value in this stuff. And I've been saying that for four years. When you have a film like The Gray Man that costs $200 million that no one particularly loves, that is not going to spawn a giant franchise, mm-hmm. and it only gets 27% more viewership over the first month than Purple Hearts, a movie that costs $3 million. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the if you're not, if you're not bringing in box office, it really does become what is the point of spending that much on a streaming only movie? And yeah. if that starts to be the case, and streaming companies are not making that type of movie, and you know the studios who release things theatrical look at Black Adam and they look at the Rock's sort of waning popularity, then it does become what is the Rock's movie career? Well, I think he certainly has more than enough money. Right. to do a few projects where he's not the the only reason it exists. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the cliche is say, you know, beg Tarantino for supporting role or, or whatever. But, you know, that you do that route. You make movies where you being in them is interesting because you're working with directors who are not going to let you push them around. Right. right. Yeah, uh, The Rock started out that way, obviously. Yeah. I mean, he did a few interesting roles here and there, and then he got scared when they bombed and so then he's just been middle of the road middle of the road and then franchise viagra quote unquote and right. and, and so that he's, ever true? It, i mean it, joe rise of covert retaliation was basically the end of that franchise it made yep. less domestic than a uh, rise of cobra did yeah it more overseas but that was mostly because of 3d and, and and I think you can look at the Fast and Furious franchise, starting with five, bringing in an excellent director, uh, and really being the reason that was a revitalized well, fair, franchise. Justin Lin directed three, four, and five, and then yeah. six. Yeah, I do believe he boosted Fast Fast and Furious. Yeah, but he couldn't leave well enough alone. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And again, simplistically speaking, I think sometime around 2017, 2018, he started to believe his own hype. Yes. And, and, yeah. you know, I'm lo- I just looked and reminded myself his next project that he signed on for, like, I don't know if this will actually happen, but he's doing a movie with Benny Safdie. 
He's doing a movie with one of the Safdie brothers. Unfortunately, not both of them because one of them wants to be an actor. But he's doing a, Rock is doing a, a small drama. He's playing an ex MMA fighter. You know, this is this is going to be the test because there's a world in which he knocks us out of the park and people look at him and and know that he can be in a Tarantino movie. He can act. And there's a world in which this is a disaster, and then him as as an actor is not viable. Well, 15, 15, close to 20 years ago, he was often the best thing in bad or not that great movies, Mm -hmm. like Get Smart or Be Cool Mm -hmm. or Walking Tall. Rundown's great, but whatever. Um, And then, I mean, to be fair, I mean, it was clear that he was trying to do stuff that challenged him. Nobody shows up. And then he starts doing all quadrant PG-13 action-adventure fantasy films, and he becomes a giant movie star, of course he's going to keep doing those. Right, right. And and to be fair, too, I mean, here's the thing. His competition as a wrestler-turned-actor is way... uh, There's a lot more uh, talented actors now that are... You look at Batista, who we both agree is going to be an Oscar nominee at the very least at some point in the future. You see John Cena, who is hilarious you bring him in that ricky stanicki trailer god i wish that was going theatrically but hilarious he's hilarious in that i mean he is a guy who also you can put in small roles and he could be really fun so the competition here is no longer hulk hogan doing you know the that the mr. Nanny, nanny yeah mr nanny yeah. and things like that so the game has been elevated and he needs to rise to that occasion yeah we're gonna yeah. see uh, so, Scott, you mentioned The Gray Man when you were referencing these Netflix movies. And it did make me think this, one of the stars of that movie, Ryan Gosling, he had the biggest movie of the year last year. He was the second lead in Barbie. He's got this Fall Guy movie coming out to basically kind of open the summer, right? It's the first week in May movie. Yeah, it's you the know, first time since 2006 that a Marvel movie of some kind has not opened the summer. Wow. And so instead of a Marvel movie, instead of a superhero movie, it is a movie based on a 80s action show that probably ran like two or three seasons. I I mean, I this is not the A-team. Yeah, this is like the equalizer where Mm -hmm. if people show up, it'll be because of the stars and the high concept because it looks fun. Right, right. The the amount of people who will go see this because they've been waiting for the movie adaptation of The Fall Guy – I mean, that's a scary group, honestly. I, I <laughs> don't want to run into that person who's like, I haven't seen a movie in 30 years because I've been waiting for them to make a movie out of The Fall Guy. Pat, that's five what I like to call, like to call that wow. a new-to-you new to adaptation. Yes. Which means it's not original, but most people going, will it'll be original to them. Yes. So long range out, you know, two months out. Where are you <laughs> feeling on this? Because we've seen the trailer it's directed by the director of the Deadpool movies. It's sort of got some of that Deadpool humor in the trailer, though. I, I don't know if it's going to truly feel full-on Deadpool, you know, fourth wall breaking, Universal that kind of thing. Universal clearly believes in it because okay. they're debuting it at South by Southwest. They're showing it at CinemaCon. They, they're apparently hiring David Leach to direct Jurassic World 4. You know, you don't do that if you're, you know, if you don't like the movie they just he just made for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first trailer is terrible. 
Mm-hmm. I think the CinemaCon sizzle reel was pretty good, but for whatever weird reason, the trailer they cut was weirdly confusing and so totally confusing. awkward and using a 50-year-old Bon Jovi song that barely has anything to do with the movie you're selling. Right. It's like, again, if you want to appeal to the kids, use a song that's from this millennium. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, sure. Ryan Gosling's just coming off the biggest movie of the year where the music in the movie is Dua Lipa and Billie Eilish and, you yeah. know, artists that matter to younger people. I mean, this is, to me, a big test for Ryan Gosling because he's been a famous person for a long time. He's been a great actor for a long time. He's been an internet favorite for a long time. But other than La La Land until Barbie, he wasn't uh, the lead in a hit. And to be fair... Spending $160 million on Brain Runner in 2049 was a world-class stupid idea. And I said mm-hmm. that way before the movie came out. Mm-hmm. But a 2.5-hour R-rated action light sci-fi, sci-fi film with just Harrison Ford and just Ryan Gosling opening to $33 million, not bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, people definitely like him. Yeah, they showed so, up. It just cost me too much. So, yeah, I mean, do you think this movie could cement him as a modern day, obviously this is not 90s Tom Cruise, 90s Will Smith, but a modern day version of a Butts in the Seas movie star. Like what? what is a couple of months out the best case scenario for a fall guy opening the first Friday in May? Honestly, I think a best case scenario, ironically, is, you know, over, under, give or take, Blade Runner 2049. Okay. Which did 95 domestic and I think like 260 worldwide. Okay. Again, this this could do closer to Bullet Train, which did like a hundred and change and like 270, 280 worldwide, give or take. Mm-hmm. And if it gets over three hundred, yippy skippy. Right. Um, and I assume it's budgeted at that level where it doesn't need to make a gajillion dollars. Mm-hmm. This is universal. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's got, you know, in terms of the five necessary ingredients for a non-franchise adult screen breakout, you've got an ensemble cast. Kinda. You got the two of them, plus Aaron Taylor Johnson, maybe a couple other people that escaped my mind. Mm-hmm. You've got a marquee director, the guy that directed Deadpool 2 and John Wick 1 and Atomic Blonde and Bullet Train. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the promise of cinematic escapism. Mm-hmm. It does not look, look like a dour exercise in cinematic suffering. The issue is they need to have a much more specific marketing hook on what the hell is this movie about yes yes no because the hook of the tv show is that he was a stuntman who solved mysteries yes or you know who helped people in need he was no he was yeah he he solved mysteries he was yeah he was like a bounty hunter and stuff i mean yeah yeah. that's yeah like your classic 80s a team you know every week someone in need is like hey could you help us fall guy? Could you help us the Hulk? Could you help us the A team? Yeah. And this trailer really doesn't seem to do much. And maybe the movie doesn't either, but doesn't seem to do much with this is a stunt man, which feels like, I don't know how much of a hook that is, but that's definitely the main characteristic of the lead. I think the, from what I gather, the movie is about a stunt man who is reluctantly <laughs> recruited by his ex-wife, who's the director on an action movie, to track That's down the lot. lead actor who has vanished. And it becomes a violent mystery and all that. Yeah, and yeah. There, there is and a scene fine. in the trailer where he 
is going to make a jump. And then he's like, no, no, this is crazy. And then he has to make the jump. I do think I do trust that this movie is going to be fun. I think it's the perfect sort of thing to remake because it was not high art. It's something that yeah. had a fun concept that you could make into an hour and 40 or 50 minute movie and, you know, pick some of the best parts of what happened in the show. And 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 you also don't have hardcore fans of the fall guy that are going to be saying he would never do that. Right. This you is know? not saying elsewhere, for instance. It's Ryan got God's ruined my childhood. Exactly. Yeah. Again. It's, got, it's got one of the greatest theme songs this country theme song. Look up the Fall Guy theme song. It's amazing. They should have Zach Bryan cover this thing as the, this. That's what should be uh, the theme for this, right? If you want to get the kids in there, get Zach Bryan doing this. And I, I do think that this has a chance to be a big breakout, and it's a great look for uh, for the future of movies. That this is yes. something that is leading the summer because mm -hmm. Bullet Train was August, and this is not August, and that bodes well. And I think yep. it's very encouraging. Two out of the first three weeks of the summer, you have a high concept, new to you, or the case of if outright original, star-driven movie movie. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's it, May. I just want to get some quick hits for you because, you know, it's been a rough January. You know, Mean Girls, the biggest movie of the month, uh, Beekeeper, you know, Beekeeper, great, great film. We loved it. But when those are the biggest movies of your month, it's a light release schedule. In February, we're just waiting on Madam Webb and Bob Marley to save us. So that's a rough month. But March is, I mean, March looks like a, a summer month, you know, in well, yeah. some ways. Uh, um, there's been plenty of years where a, a January, February was a little light. Right. And then it kicks into gear in March. Um, 2019, for example, ups, Upside Overperformed. Glass underperformed, Lego Movie 2 outright bombed. Everybody was waiting for How to Train Your Dragon and Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, it definitely, it's traditionally, it it has been that, you know, January, you go see the Oscar movies that you haven't seen. And that's what's December missing is we don't have the Oscar season anymore. Right. Right. You know, Poor Things is not, uh, uh, you know, La -la banking. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So, so right now... Barbie and Oppenheimer were the only hits and they came out in July and none of the other best picture noms really mean anything at the box office, but looking ahead to March, it feel, I mean, March kind of looks like a bigger summer month than June, for instance, coming up. Um, this is a really bad summer. I it mean, is a no really bad summer. You look at it month by month and yeah, not only is it a light schedule with maybe one tent pole a week, but in many weeks, that tent pole is a coin toss. Yeah. I mean, you know, looking ahead to June, since you bring it up, Inside Out 2 is the only movie on that, currently on that release schedule, other than, uh, I'm going to throw this out there, Colleen Hoover's It Ends With Us. I think that's going to be a surprise giant uh, uh, hit this year, but that's not going to replace a big tent pole. It's not going to no. replace the big tent pole. It's a sound of freedom situation. Yes. But it, Inside <laughs> yeah. Out Two is the only thing that could make that could make worldwide five hundred million coming out in June. There's nothing yes. else. Maybe Bad Boys Four, but that's well. What, do, what are you hearing on that? I've heard nothing other than it exists and they were going to open it earlier this year, but they moved it to summer because it's a summer movie. Wait, so it exists. It is shot. Yes. Okay. 
Because I, I, I do see, I'm looking at using the numbers right now as the release schedule, and it does have untitled Bad Boys movie for June 14th. So, and it's coming out the same weekend as Inside Out 2, which is madness considering well, nothing well, else comes back out. In, well, yeah, but unfortunately, back in the old days, That's you true. would have an adult skewing yeah. or you know, all quadrant but violent action comedy slash action movie like Wanted or Central Intelligence or World War Z that would kick ass right alongside the Pixar movie. Right, right. That's uh, true. I mean, go for it, Clayton. I know you've got some reservations. I, I think this thing is going to bomb. Uh, Bad Boys 4. I think Will Smith, the the loss of star power, I've, I don't think I've ever seen that in my lifetime of somebody just losing all respect and all love so quickly and in such an insane way. I will not see this movie. I know there's a lot of people who have no interest in seeing this movie. I, I, I'm like, I, would you release this in a theater? I mean, I feel like you dump this somewhere. I just cannot imagine that people uh, are going to rush out and see a bad boys Four with Will Smith starring in this. I, I just don't see it. I don't see it. I mean, if that's the case, man, then June is, is going to be in rough shape because they kind of need this to be ahead. Uh, well, I mean, I assume they ran the numbers before they greenlit the thing. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it was barely in pre-production, you know, before the slap. Right. So, I mean, I'm but of the opinion of that things... most people won't care. It might not make them more want to see the film, but it's not going to make them like if it looks good, if the reviews are good, if it's something that absent that controversy, I would be interested in then they will still show up. I think so. there's plenty of post-slap things, and we're not going to get into it because we're not yeah, a yeah. muckraking show. We talk about box office, but I will say that there's a lot more that has come out after the controversy that could dim someone's stardom. And so I I, I, I just I just think this thing is going to absolutely tank. Now, now, Pat, can I mention another movie that I think possibly, and, and a big star just mentioned, maybe is not coming out, or is never going to get off the uh, the ground, is this Thunderbolts movie. Florence Pugh oh, saying, this movie might not even happen. You have Steven Yeun escaping the clutches of Marvel. Good for mm-hmm. him. Great man. You have Io Adebri, Ed- 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 who yeah, also stepped away from Thunderbolts due to scheduling. Mm-hmm. Um, they are hemorrhaging talent. Florence Pugh, probably trying to escape, probably contracted, and so she does not want this movie to happen. Uh, I'm not going to speak for her, but I am speaking for her. D- there's no benefit for her for this movie to happen unless she doesn't get paid. Unless it yeah. happens. Now, if she's getting paid, even if it doesn't happen, this movie should not happen. Because, Agreed. right? Uh, do you think this movie comes out? Oh, I'm uh, 50-50 at this point. Okay. Wow. And... I think safe in the knowledge that it might not come out or it might at least get delayed again. As soon as I heard that Jurassic World 4 was A, happening, and B, opening July 2nd, my first thought was, and I wrote about this yesterday, Superman Legacy needs to get the fuck away from it. Yes. You know, it's opening 10 days later. No, run. Open before, open after. I don't care, but give yourself some space. Even if it's just opening on the July 18th slot that you know, Warner Brothers and Chris Nolan loves. Right, right. Wow. Well, so, so I mean, tell us why you think that. Why do you think Dinosaur is more powerful than Superman? 
because it is the most consistent tentpole franchise in the modern era. The three Jurassic movies, the world movies, have averaged $1.3 billion worldwide over three movies. Wow. On, a, on an average budget of, uh, sorry, 150 plus 170 plus 180, what, an average of 160, give or take? Right, right. These wow. are the biggest bargains in Hollywood. And it's one of those franchises that the internet swears everybody hates them. But in the real world, they like them. Yeah. They've yeah. all been pretty leggy after massive opening weekends with decent word of mouth. And even if people really didn't like Dominion because it had too many locusts and too much nostalgia, oh no, it only does 750 on a 150 budget. Mm-hmm. What will we do? Right. But but think right. about childhood kids. What is a consistent thing that they like that has really not changed for a long time? Superheroes' fortunes people have being gone eaten by dinosaurs. Yes. yes. Superheroes have gone up and down through all of our lifetimes with kids liking them, not liking them, thinking they're lame, whatever. Dinosaurs have consistently always been cool and interesting to kids. And I think that that is something that is not being talked about is that, like you said, their consistency. Yeah, you just (laughs) talked about it very eloquently. And that's why this is the kind of stuff you get on the Substack. And that's why you got to pay for it. Yeah, you got to pay for it. For years, I've been saying this just because, and other people too. It's like, What's weird is because because very few, if really no franchises, have ever really made a serious effort to jump on the dinosaur bandwagon, it really is the only game in town. You know, it provides IMAX-friendly, colorful, opie blockbuster spectacle filled with blue-collar protagonists. Nobody's a superhero. Nobody's a chosen one. Nobody's a one-man army. They're scientists, soldiers, paleontologists, business tycoons turned activists, et cetera, et cetera, who are ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances. And oh yeah, people get eaten by dinosaurs. Yeah. And the leads are refillable. Yes. And yes, I do think that Chris Pratt was a bigger deal in why Jurassic World and the sequels took off. You know, again, don't listen to the internet. Your kids think Chris Chris Pratt is nifty. Mm -hmm. So they do have to find somebody that's going to fill that void. Yeah. Glenn Uh, Powell. Let's like see how, how Twisters does. I don't know about a lead role, but you absolutely need to get on the phone with Jack Black and give him a major supporting role in this movie. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I do wonder, though, will he want to work with dinosaurs after whatever his experience was working with King Kong? That is fair. You know, but but then he did go. He he was welcomed back into the jungle in the Jumanji movie. So, I, <laughs> I, you know, so I, I think I think that's a great that's a great one. I mean, listen, Jack Black, just one of the most unsung, sure thing kid stars that we have. Mm-hmm. Yes. I when mean, he is a he kid's is, film. He is an asses and seats movie star. Yes. Yes. Kung Fu, um, Kung Fu Panda 4 coming out. That's what, yeah, it's going to be huge. And that's why. Yeah. Because that's a marquee character played by a, an actor that kids like. Mm-hmm. Scott, how big could Dune 2 be? I mean, it could be huge. I just, here's my thing. Okay. I genuinely believe that Dune, the first Dune, made about as much in 2021 as it otherwise would have made in non-COVID times without HBO Max and all that silliness. Okay. At the end of the day, Godzilla v. Kong made $470 million, Mm -hmm. despite being on HBO Max. The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, made $300 million despite being on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. And there was all this anecdotal evidence in 2021 
Oh no, the Suicide Squad bombed because it was on HBO Max. Okay, then why did Free Guy make three hundred and thirty million opening the next weekend? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh no, uh, you know, Ray on the Last Dragon bombed because of the Premier Access. Okay, Paw Patrol made the exact same amount of money being on Paramount Plus. Right. Right. There was a slew of movies in 2021 that did as well as, if not better, than what they would have been expected to do in non-COVID times. Mm-hmm. Free Guy, Godzilla v. Kong, I would argue Dune, Spider-Man No Way Home, which would have been a massive hit, but it wouldn't have done Titanic numbers opening as just another tentpole in July 2021. Right, right. Yeah. There, there was a lot of pent up. Yeah. We need to see something, and those were the big movies of that sparse year. Yeah. No. And even in October... No Time to Die did 775, 155 worldwide. Venom did 200 million domestic, 500 worldwide. Uh, Halloween Kills, despite being on Peacock, opened with $49 million and legged out to 131. And you could say, oh, that was less than Halloween. Yeah, because audiences didn't like Halloween as much as critics did. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't care about the, oh, it's about generational trauma. It's so deep empowering it's a me too slasher film none of that resonated with them it was just oh it's a halloween film could could dune too you know it's coming out in march it was supposed to come out what in november of this year and i I think that would have been a fascinating just as as uh oscar watchers it would have been a fascinating situation had dune come out in november because it i think it would have been right in the middle of this this oscar race but it's coming out in march could it get some of the post Oppenheimer here's a, if the reviews are just out of control, you know, the reviews are, this is going to be a best picture contender. Villeneuve is going to be the favorite for best director. Could this get that Oppenheimer glow of great movie, big name director. This is the one adults have to see. Plus it's got sandworms and it's got, Chalamet for the for the young people like yes, could yeah. it get to that level absolutely possible you know mm-hmm. it's got a stacked ensemble cast of people that are added value elements you know Chalamet uh, Florence Pugh uh, Christopher Walken Rebecca Ferguson etc etc you know Austin Javier Butler Bardem, Austin Butler um, Josh Brolin I think he, he survived the first one yeah um, so these are all people that will help and yeah I think it gets a slight walk a bump. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So, but I, oh yeah. What I, what concerns me is the notion that absent COVID and absent HBO Max, that Dune was going to pull Lord of the Rings numbers, and surely this film is going to play like a Lord of the Rings film mm-hmm. without those variables. And mm-hmm. I'm saying maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the film did 400 million domestic, 105, 110 world. I'm sorry, it did 110 domestic mm-hmm. on par with the Flash. It did 400 million worldwide on par with Eternals. Um, and the question is, how much of a bump is it going to get from being the part two to a well-liked part one? Because mm-hmm. generally speaking, they do get a bump. Deathly Hollows, Endgame, uh, Hunger Game, or uh, Twilight Breaking Dawn part two, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so, I mean, if you say, oh, it lost 30% because of HBO Max. Okay, awesome. Then you say, oh, it's going to get another 30% because it's a breakout sequel to a part one that people liked. Okay, fine. Awesome. That still gets you over under 700 million worldwide. Mm -hmm. And that might be best case scenario. And that's great. 
Right. They would be thrilled if this does Wonka money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the idea that a billion worldwide has become sort of a, a generic catch-all for this film is going to do well, that is stupid. And that's Especially now. problem. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, w- without China the way it was, you know, yeah. five, ten years ago, the billion-dollar thing has to be retired and yeah. as a barometer. Yeah. Now, now, can I so, give you my pitch for why I think this is going to be massive? Okay. Sure. And I think, and you invoke Titanic. Obviously, we're not talking Titanic in the in the way of box office, but we're talking about this trailer for Dune Two that I've been seeing. Really keys in on Zendaya and Timothy Chalamet in a romance. These are two big stars. I mean, Chalamet is in a real life romance right now. Zendaya is also, I believe, in a real life romance with an actor, Spider Man. I think that's still going on. I believe it is right. Far as I know, yeah, I think I so. Think yeah, would have found out if it wasn't. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So yes, PR would have been in motion. And frankly, there. if for some reason they have broken up, I imagine they're under a vow of silence until after the movie comes out. Absolutely, I totally agree with that. So I think that this, yes, you everything you mentioned before, well liked first movie. It's the second part; it'll get a bump. I do think that Wonka bump. The fact that this is at least with the trailer, romance, romantic centric. It feels like star-crossed lover situation. Young people love both of these people to see them together. Because in the first movie, they were not together in this. That was yes. she was more teased than in this movie, and she is huge. And I think yeah. that is going to be the thing that puts this movie over. Now, will it be a billion-dollar baby? I don't know, but I do think it is going to do stellar business because of these factors. I agree with you. And the second trailer is spe- the third trailer is awesome. Yeah. It's a mm-hmm. terrific tenfold trailer that, yes, it invokes, you know, you know, person on the side of the persecution changes sides because he falls in love. That's that's Avatar. Yeah. Um, and I think if you remember, the second trailer for the first Dune was trying to sell it as Avatar, mm-hmm. even though she's barely in the movie, which, fine, whatever. No, I'm not saying it's going to flop or anything stupid like that. I'm just saying if it gets to Wonka, they'll be happy. If it gets to the Batman, they'll be thrilled. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, all right, Scott, we know your time is, is limited and it's valuable. Uh, and so I think we're going to wind down here. Um, Clayton, is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you want to throw by the head of the table, Scott Mendelson? No, I mean, I think we did talk a lot of, uh, about a lot of things and I do, I mean, obviously we're going to have you back before this big March, I hope. Uh, so we can talk to you about that and, you know, obviously summer's coming up. So I think we covered a good amount of things and I, I appreciate you taking the time as always. Oh, absolutely. All right. So Scott, tell everyone again, where can they find you? And also congratulations because you are in the podcasting game. Yes. I heard the first episode, Scott Mendelson has a podcast was the title of the first episode. Tell us about where people, where, where the wannabe old boys, wannabe old girls, wannabe old people, people can well, right find now, your podcast. Right now, just go to Substack and find it. And that's, it's called the outside scoop, the box office podcast. Cause whatever. Right. Um, and what I want to do is I wanted to be more than just me pontificating for 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. So I decided there are people that I read. They're mm-hmm. not podcasters like you necessarily, mm-hmm. but they are, you know, old, you know, they're, they're box office writers that I have known and it respected for years. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, how about I just get the three of them on and there may be more because there's a few other people I know here and there 
And I sort of step back to the best of my ability and let them talk about it. Okay. And okay. So far, yeah. I mean, when I was doing editing, most of the stuff I cut out was me. So I think it's successful in that sense. All right. I mean, it is a must listen. I mean, obviously the outside scoop is a must pay for, and you get the podcast um, and very exciting. Got a, a bunch of ink stained box office scribes getting behind the mics. I love and it. And I do want, after this is over, I'd love to have some pointers and tips on the ways that the first episode was terrible and how I can make it better. We will, we will, we will give you that. So that is, uh, that's on the, you know, behind the scenes there. That's yeah. not for, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. for the audience. Um, awesome. Well, Scott, thank you for joining us. Of course, everyone email us the BO boys podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on our socials at the BO boys pod. Want to be a senior intern, Christopher and want to be a junior intern. Scott, you got to get some interns. This intern, I mean, they, they'll change your life. Yeah. Want you know, so thank you. I'll know Christopher that I'm successful when I, when I got to hire people. You know what? I, we'll give you some tips on that too. Yeah. Scott. Yeah. Fair we'll enough. we'll talk off mic, but thank you, uh, Jack, for the Substack. Which uh, Scott talk about a must read. The Bo Boys Substack is back. Our intern, our junior intern, Jack. He is. I mean, listen. This is the generation that you birth. Want to be O junior intern? Jack is a disciple of Scott Mendelson. He's writing twice a week on the Bo Boys Substack. His previews, his reviews. He's doing. Uh, uh, movies that meant something to his box office life. So everyone check that out. The BO boys Substack and, uh, five stars on Apple podcasts. And of course pay for, because you owe this man a living. Yes. Pay for the outside stu- outside scoop by Scott Mendelson on Substack. And Clayton, I think that's it. I think we've done it. I, I can't think of anything else left to say. No, nothing at all. Except for until next time. Will smell you at the box. Box. Oh.